sometimes Christmas feels like a part-time job instead of a holiday. When did all the noise drown out the season? When did this become just one more thing we have to get through? I just wish I could press pause and actually experience Christmas. I want to be able to take my time and enjoy the season for once. I want to remember how it made me feel when I was little. I want Christmas to feel important, to remember what really matters. I feel like I've forgotten what all this means, and I want to pause to prepare my heart to reflect. I want to pause and remember that Christmas changed everything. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you, you saw in the promo and you heard from Josh, we've been in a series called Pause, where we've talked about the importance of slowing down just to experience the meaning behind the season of Christmas, rather than getting caught up in the chaos that sometimes surrounds it. We've talked about pausing to prepare, talked about pausing to celebrate, pausing to live. Uh, today we're going to talk about something that we can do not only now, in the, as this year winds down, but also in the year ahead, which is pausing for a conversation. Now, how many of you know that there's tremendous power in a simple, honest conversation? Just a couple of you, okay. Some of you need to have some conversations with people. But there is. In a simple, honest conversation, there can be tremendous power. But not all conversations are created equal. Some conversations are funny. Some are awkward. Some are discouraging, some are encouraging, some are confusing. Not all conversations take place face-to-face anymore. Some conversations happen over email, and a lot of them now happen over text, which, in my opinion, is the most dangerous way to have a conversation, but it may become quickly the most popular. And that's because you're, you're typing these tiny little buttons on a screen this big and buttons as small as your fingernail. You're typing words, and then there's this mysterious force known as autocorrect, which decides it doesn't like your word, so it substitutes one it likes better. And all of a sudden, your conversation has an entirely different meaning. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here are a few real text conversations that took place, and I think this will paint a picture for us. Now, here's a, here's a text conversation that it, it, it stresses the point it's important to know where people are when you're having these conversations. So this one starts with, hey, babe, what are you doing? And the response is, nothing much, really tired, just going to sleep now. You? In the club, standing behind you. (laughs) You got to be careful when you're having those text conversations. If you don't know where the other person is, you can get in trouble. Now here's another one. Here's another one. It says, your great aunt passed away, LOL. Why is that funny? It's not funny. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. OMG, I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. I have to call everyone back. Oh, God. So you have to be careful with these conversations. You need to know the language. You need to know where people are. And then sometimes they can just get all together sideways and become something you didn't intend. Here's the last one. I love you, son. You should come to church with me this Sunday. It's going to be great. They're just talking about this weekend, I'm sure. I'll meet you tonight. Will you wear something racy? Mama, I'm so sorry. I meant to send that to someone else. I love you. 
You need Jesus. And you will be at church this Sunday. What we didn't tell you is that we pulled those conversations from some of your phones. So just look to the person next to you. You never know. Some conversations can be funny. Some conversations can be confusing. One thing we do here at Seacoast is we always have a pastor on call. In case there's an urgent need after hours and someone needs to reach a pastor, you know, after business, normal business hours, we have a special phone that we'll carry and we rotate it on a weekly basis. A pastor always has this phone. Well, the first time I had this phone, I was super careful, carried it everywhere I went, put it beside my bed at night in case it rang. And, and one night it did ring about two thirty in the morning, the phone rang. And I, if you're like me, when you're asleep, you are absolutely asleep. So I need a little bit of runway sometimes to wake up. But that phone rang at 2.30. I answered it, and there was a woman on the other end just sobbing. I mean, full body, sloppy crying, devastated because she had gotten into a fight with her best friend. And she was upset, wondering why this, could hap- why this happened, why God would let this happen. And so we talked for a bit. I prayed with her, tried to encourage her, and then I asked her, do you have a Bible at your house? And she said, yes. I said, well, I want you to do something when we hang up. I want you to go look up a verse in Jeremiah chapter 29. You guys may know the verse. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Great verse, right? Great verse for somebody especially who might be discouraged. So I told her, I want you to go look up Jeremiah 29, 17. I think that'll help you. So I walk upstairs and I'm thinking, Jeremiah 29, 17, that doesn't sound right. I think Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I wonder what Jeremiah 29, 17 says. So I walked back downstairs and looked it up. Here's what Jeremiah 29, 17 says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send sword, famine, and plague against them. And I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I'm pretty sure that wouldn't encourage her. So I called her right back and I said, hey, how you doing? Remember me? Just curious if you've had a chance to look up that verse yet. She said, no. I said, well, that's good. I've thought of an even better one. Why don't you look up Jeremiah 29, 11 instead? And she said, okay, and thanked me, and we hung up the phone. Tragedy averted. But some conversations can be confusing, and some conversations can change our lives. Some conversations can change our lives. I want to tell you a story today about a woman who had a conversation like that. It's in John chapter 4, and this is about Jesus uh, as it starts. It says this. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sukkar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For Jesus' disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where will you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's trying to change the subject. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Why don't we pray? God, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful for what it tells us about you, for what it tells us about us. We pray that you'll help us to hear what you'd have to say to us today. In Christ's name, amen. So this woman had a question to answer. Was she willing to pause for a conversation with God? It was no small thing. It required a ton of courage because there was a lot of cultural tension between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. They didn't like each other. When I say they didn't like each other, I mean they really didn't like each other. You see, the Jews were very rigid in the way they related to God. They had a lot of things they did and didn't do. And the Samaritan people, well, they kind of took from the Jewish religion what they liked, but left the rest and added to it their own flavor. And so the Jewish people hated them for it. They felt like they were sellouts. It was so significant that devoted Jewish people would not travel through the country of Samaria which was right between Judea and Galilee. So if you were a devoted Jew and you needed to go one place to the other, you would go all the way around the country of Samaria. They wouldn't step foot in the country, just as a sign of protest to say, we can't stand you guys. They would make a dangerous river crossing, go north, make the same dangerous river crossing just to avoid the country. It seems crazy to us, right? I mean, it would be as if you were in Georgia needing to get to North Carolina and said, I'm not going to go through South Carolina. I'm going to go around it because I can't stand that place. I mean, it would be one thing if it was Alabama, right? <laughs> it would, but this is South Carolina, beautiful faces and smiling places, or switch that. I'm just kidding. I don't, I've never been to Alabama. I'm sure it's beautiful. But here was Jesus, a Jewish man, right in the middle of Samaria. I don't know if you caught it, but did you hear why he was there? In verse 4, it tells us he had to go through Samaria. Let me tell you what that that phrase had to means in the original Greek, which was the the language this text was written in. Had to means 
had to. That's all it means. There's nothing flashy about it. It just means had to. But why? Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? You know, I I think that there's something here we can learn about Jesus because we know he knew the way around Samaria. He knew the route. We see in another place in Scripture that he traveled it before with his friends. So why, again, did he have to? I think he was compelled to. I think he had to because he had someone he wanted to meet. I think that says something about Jesus and it says something about God. I think what it says is they've always cared more about people than they do about religion. But back to this woman. Here she is. And there were plenty of reasons not to have the conversation. And like the woman, there will always be plenty of reasons for you and I to not have a conversation with God. Maybe it's the pace of our lives. Maybe we're so busy that we just can't imagine slowing down enough to actually pause for a conversation with God. Maybe it's that we're too disappointed. Maybe we feel like God has let us down or he hasn't shown up in some way that we believe he should have. And so we're just not willing to pause for that conversation with God. Or maybe we're too ashamed of something. Maybe there's something in our lives that we'd just rather not deal with. And we're afraid if we pause for a conversation with God, it might come up. So we avoid it. For different reasons, we face the same question the woman faced. Are we willing to pause for a conversation with God? If we are, I think we might be surprised. If we're willing to pause for this conversation with God, we might just be surprised. The woman in the story was definitely surprised. Culturally, the conversation should never have taken place. In fact, she asked Jesus, she said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Essentially, what she's saying to him is this. Why are you talking to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I am? You see, there's a lot of us probably who feel that way towards God. God, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I am? Before answering her question, Jesus would make two really interesting statements. At first he said this, If you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the second was this one. Everyone who drinks this water from this well, they'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again. You can imagine the woman stepped back and thought, Okay, you have my attention. And she said to him, Sir, please give me this water so that I won't have to keep coming here to draw water day after day. Here's where it gets interesting. Jesus responds to her with a question saying this, why don't you go and call your husband? Have you ever had those conversations where you feel like there are crickets in the background and it gets a little awkward? Here's the moment. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you're with now, he's not your husband either. What you're saying is true. 
And you might think, that's kind of harsh. Why would Jesus call out the woman like that? That's not where he's going. You see, he's bringing this up for a reason. This is where he would answer her question. Do you remember her question? Why are you talking to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I am? By bringing up these issues in the woman's life, Jesus is saying to her, yes, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you are. You're the reason I came. I had to meet you. Now let's talk about why you're so thirsty. Let me tell you something that might change your life forever. Your thirst matters to God. I'm not talking about your physical thirst. I'm talking about that deeper sense of thirst that all of us have for life that is full and overflows. That thirst, that matters to God. This woman had paused for a conversation and it was going to change her life forever. Let's say, here we are at the, you know, the beginning of a, a new year. And let's say that as part of something new you'll commit to in the new year ahead, pausing for a conversation with God might be one of those things. How would you prepare? How would you prepare for a conversation with God? I think there are three ways we can do it. The woman did all three. The first way we can prepare for a conversation with God is this. We can be willing to listen. Be willing to listen. How many of you know that listening is perhaps the most important part of a conversation? Yeah, I see a lot of hands popping up. Most of them men, probably husbands, who are thinking, I've learned that lesson the hard way. Listening is perhaps the most important part in a conversation. Listening is simple, but it's not easy. Because listening requires that we lay down our agenda. It requires that we lay down our assumptions. Assumptions can be a dangerous thing. They can get us into trouble. There was a, a radio transcript released a few years ago between the U.S. Navy and the Royal Canadian Navy while they were off the coast of Newfoundland. I think it was from 1995. And here's the actual transcript, again, from a U.S. Navy vessel and the Royal Canadian Navy while they were off the coast of Newfoundland. The Americans start with this. It says, Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south, to, avo- to the north, to avoid a collision. The Canadians respond with, Recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans' respond, response was, This is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And Canadians respond with, No, I say again, please divert your course. The American's response was this. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the U.S. Navy's Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north where countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. And the Canadians responded with this. We are a lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) Assumptions can get us into a lot of trouble. They can get us off course. 
And some of us, let's be honest, have assumed some things about God. We've assumed some things that might not be true. So as we start this conversation, it might be best just to lay those down, to set them aside and listen. Now, a quick word about listening. How many of you ever have ever been to a rock concert? Go ahead, raise your hands. Don't be bashful. We're not here to judge. If you've been to a loud rock concert, you know that as you leave one of those venues, your head's kind of ringing with all the music that you've heard for the past couple of hours. And, and if you came with friends, if you're talking with them after you leave, you're screaming at each other because you can't hear one another. You've been in this venue where the music's been loud and in your face and you're yelling at each other. And it's because it takes a little time for your hearing to come back after all that noise. I wonder if you'd agree with me that in this life there can be so much noise that it can be hard to hear God. It isn't that he's not speaking to us. It's that we have a hard time hearing him because of all the noise. And so we have to be patient. We have to be willing to push aside some of that noise before we'll actually begin to hear him. The third way, uh, the second way, Jump too fast. The second way I think we can prepare for a conversation with God is this. We, can, we need to be willing to be honest. We need to be willing to be honest. And what if the woman had responded differently? What if she said, Jesus, you seem like a great guy. Heard cool stuff about you, but I'm really just not that thirsty. That seems crazy, right? I mean, here she was with a jar at midday to get water from a well. First of all, it's midday. Nobody goes to a well at midday. This was a desert region, and it was hot. They went early in the morning, or they went late at night, but they didn't go during midday. But the woman did. It was her routine to come at midday because she didn't want to run into anybody. She wanted to avoid having a conversation about the deep thirst in her life. It'd be crazy for her to pretend she wasn't thirsty, right? But let's be honest, some of us, we can pretend that we've got it together, that we're doing just okay, and we're every bit as thirsty as the woman. C.S. Lewis wrote a story called The Silver Chair, and in it there's a girl named Jill who, like the woman, finds herself desperately thirsty. She finally comes upon a stream where she can get some water, but the problem is Across the stream is a huge lion named Aslan. And Aslan represents God in a lot of C.S. Lewis's books. Here's the exchange between Jill and Aslan. Although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she had been turned into stone, her mouth wide open, and she had a very good reason. Just on the other side of the stream lay the lion. If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill. And if I go on, I'll run straight into its mouth. Anyway, she couldn't have moved, even if she had tried, and she couldn't take her eyes off the lion. How long this lasted, she could not be sure. It seemed like hours, and her thirst became so bad that she almost felt she wouldn't mind being eaten by the lion if she could only be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. If you're thirsty you may drink. The voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. 
It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in a rather different way. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls, said Jill? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. Then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Now what happens if Jill pretends she isn't thirsty? She dies of thirst. What happens to us if we leave here today pretending that we have it together, that we have no need of pausing for a conversation with God? And we may go on dying of thirst. But what if we're honest about our thirst and we decide to have this conversation? And we may just find him to be the living water that satisfies us completely. We may find ourselves saying with the woman, could this be the one we've been waiting for? The third way I think we can prepare for a conversation with God is this. We need to be willing to leave our jars behind. You might be thinking, okay, I was with you when you said we need to listen. I was with you when you said be honest. I'm lost with the jars. If you remember, the woman carried a jar to the well with her every day, and she would fill it up. And every following day, that jar would be empty again. In this conversation with God, we might learn that we've placed our confidence in things that just can't satisfy us, in jars that continually run dry. Those jars for us might be jobs, they might be friends, they might be reputations, it might be marriages, relationships. They could be good things, but they're not things that were designed to satisfy us deeply. The woman had placed her confidence in one relationship after another, and the jar she carried in her daily trips to the well represented her constant thirst despite all those relationships. It's interesting that her daily routine took her to a place called Sukkar, which literally translates as tomb or crypt. I wonder how many of us are caught up in a daily routine that has us looking for life in places where there's only death. How many of us have put our confidence in things that will never satisfy us? Recognizing that we've built our hope there may help us to take that first step towards the one who can satisfy us completely. So again, let's assume for a minute you're willing to pause in 2014 for this conversation with God. 
How would you start it? How would you start a conversation with God? Sometimes a simple question is all it takes to start a conversation. I don't know if you noticed, but this conversation between Jesus and the woman is bookended with two questions. The first was his. He asked her, will you give me a drink? And they launched into a conversation. The last question was hers. And she said, could this be the one I've been waiting for? Could this be the Christ? Let me give you three questions, just ideas, that might help you tee up a conversation in the year ahead. They're simple. And they're questions you'll ask yourself. Who am I? That's the first one. Who am I? The second one is this. Who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Now, you may notice a gap between the first one and the second one. Who are you now, and who is it that you want to be? There may be a distance between those two. That's okay. You've got to start somewhere. The third is this. Will the road I'm on today help me become that person? Will the road I'm on today help me become that person? It's, it's worth recognizing how, if you're asking these questions, how God might respond to you. He may do it a few different ways. He might respond to you through his word, through the Bible. I, I'm continually amazed at how when I read the Bible, there's always something there. Even passages that I may have read before, there's something new there. It's incredibly relevant every day for me. Every day. Now, sometimes, it go, I'll be honest, it goes whew, right over my head. That's where I have to do a little bit of digging or ask some questions to somebody who's smarter than me. But I find that there's something there for me. So maybe that's one place God will respond to you. Another might be prayer. God might respond to you in prayer, which is really just a short conversation with God. It's nothing more complicated than that. And the third way he might respond to you is this. He might use other people. He might use other people. Now, you, you hear us talk about it a lot. We talk about small groups a lot here at Seacoast because we believe in them. We believe they're important. We believe that as people, we all have blind spots, and we need the help of others to help us see them. And if you think you don't have blind spots, well, that's a blind spot by itself. But we all have them. And so we need to live transparently with one another. The danger in a lot of churches, is that we know tons of people, but very few know us. That, that can't be the way it is. We've got to let people see the deep places inside us so they can speak some truth into our lives. They can help us see the blind spots. We've got to recognize we don't know everything. It reminds me of a story uh, with my daughter, Emma. Dana and I have two great kids. Dana and I have, have been married almost 20 years. We'll celebrate 20 next year. And she's amazing. Um, I'm still working on it. I, she wouldn't say the same about me, but she's amazing. Um, we have two incredible kids, Matthew, who is 16, and Emma, who's 11. And Emma, when she was three, was really sassy. As I say it, I realize nothing has changed, but nonetheless, she's re she was really sassy at three, and at one point, she wanted to do something ridiculous in the kitchen, like shove play-doh into a light socket and I had to explain to her hey this is not a good idea this won't end well for you or me or any of us so you can't do this you have to trust me there's stuff you don't know 
And she looked at me and turned her head to the side and she goes, Daddy, I know all the stuff. (laughs) Which at the time was funny, but it wasn't true. And as adults, we can think sometimes that we know all the stuff. We don't. We don't. We need the help of other people. We need to allow them to speak into our lives. It's one way God may respond to you as you ask these questions. I don't know if you saw the movie, We Bought a Zoo. It's a great movie. I don't think I'll spoil it for you to go ahead and tell you they bought a zoo. But before they bought the zoo, Matt Damon, who plays the main character, is wrestling with should he buy the zoo? You know, it's crazy. Who buys a zoo, right? And his son asks him, Dad, what are you thinking? And he says, I don't know. But I do know this, 20 seconds of insane courage can change your life forever. The woman had a question to answer. Would she be willing to pause for a conversation with God? As we start this new year, you and I face the same question. Are we willing to pause for a conversation with God? And in the 20 seconds it might take to answer it, our lives could begin to change forever. Let me pray for you. God, we are grateful for the way that you love us and the fact that you came for us. Grateful that you showed up in a place where it wasn't expected you'd show up. Thankful that you know who we are, you know what we are. And Lord, we pray that you give us courage, even if it takes insane courage, that we might say yes to having a conversation with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.